0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah! Cause the
1: Everyone. Once again, it's time for Evidence for Faith, the weekly program that helps Christians become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. This is the program that presents the historical, archaeological, and scholarly evidences for the historic Christian faith based on the documents of both the Old and the New Testaments. I'm your host, Kirk Hastings, this week, and our other host, Keith Kendricks, is with us this week, but he's uh, going to be a little different this week. We've got a recording of Keith. Uh, he just recently um, addressed students at Stockton State College this past April 11th, and he did a, a talk. Uh, and the title of that talk is "10 Myths About Christianity," and we're going to present that talk for you today. So, without further ado, we'll bring Keith on.
2: Thank you, everyone, for coming. I
0: know this person.
2: Like Joe said, my name is Keith Kendricks, and I, like Joe said, I'm the director of the Ratio Christi chapter here. I have an MA in Christian apologetics, and apologetics is just a fancy word for defending the faith of Christianity. It's a combination of philosophy and theology, so it's like a cross-cultural event thing going on there. And I also do a radio show on Sunday afternoons called Evidence for Faith. So tonight, we're going to talk about 10 myths about Christianity. You guys know what myths are. Some people think that Christianity itself is a myth. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that. We're going to go, I picked these. There are, there are a lot of things we could have talked about. I picked these because I felt they were the most common. And a lot of them have come up in conversations that I've had. Christianity, I recently heard someone say, and I think this is really true, Christianity is the most successful movement of any kind ever in the history of the world, okay? It's more successful than any other religion, more successful than any political movement or any kind of ideology. It now claims one-third of the world's population, so one-third of seven billion people claim to be Christians. With that, and and it's growing tremendously rapidly, especially in areas like Africa and China. Along with that growth, though, goes a lot of detractors and people who feel like it's impinging on their ideologies or their plans. So there's a lot of misconceptions that are out there, and that's what we're going to talk about. One of... The sources of many of the misconceptions is actually college professors. There was a study done by the Jewish (coughs) Community Research Study Group that inventoried what college professors thought. Did they have a positive reaction to certain types of people? And they had all these different categories. The most hated person by college professors was evangelical Christians. So 53% of the average college professor has an unfavorable view. So if you think you're going to get unbiased answers from most of your college professors, I think you're not. And, and, and many of you have told me about how they assign atheistic texts as textbooks, you know, popular literature written by atheists, and it's presented as if it's a textbook, as if it's something academic, right? Any, does that happen to anybody? Okay. So, so you know it's out there. It's beginning to creep down into high school even now. Uh, A lot of this actually, and maybe I can address this, why I think this is, a lot of this is because of 9-11. I don't know, you you guys were not around when John F. Kennedy was killed. I remember that, even though as a small boy. Uh, It was such a shock to society that things changed. And you could palpably see society change when John F. Kennedy was shot. The same thing happened with 9-11. It was such a shock to our culture, to our society, that things change. I mean, people out of nowhere, suddenly, I I remember people saying things like, you know, I'm going to read the Quran." you know. Okay, well, you just didn't hear that before. Other people would say, yeah, you know, the problem is it's those fundamentalists, right? I'd say, really, fundamentalists? Like, what do you mean? Well, you know, fundamentalists like Islam, right? Okay, so, okay, that I understand. Are you talking about fundamentalist Christians? Sure, because they're just they're so religious. Okay, so if you're a fundamentalist and you believe that you ought to love your enemy, that's the same as someone who believes they ought to kill their enemy. And yeah, uh, no, yeah, uh, hmm. Uh, there was even the New York Times even had an article about this, how the problem in the world was religion, right? Well, hopefully we can debunk some of that. We're going to take a look at, is Christianity blind faith? That's something you hear all the time. You have to park your brain at the door when you go into a church. Christianity is anti-science, right? It's, it represses science. You know, we can't progress unless we can get rid of Christianity. Christianity promotes violence right? Think of the Crusades, witch hunts, right? It's a very violent religion. Christianity is full of hypocrites anyway, so why would you want to go, right? They, they say they're nice people, but they're really mean people. You know, they talk, they talk about you behind your back when you leave the room, and they shouldn't do that. It's full of hate, right? It hates gays, hates women, hates Jews, you know, and in conversations, you, you hear this all the time, here's one that's fairly new but it's become very popular because it's been being promoted on the internet. Christianity, this is a myth about Christianity that that Christianity is a copy of a myth. So we've got a myth about a myth. So it's a copy. It's just there's all kinds of dying and rising gods and Christianity just copied from that. Jesus was just a good teacher. You know, the the rest of it was just uh, invented and added on by his disciples. So yeah, there's good things about Christianity and, you know, you should be kind to other people. The Bible was written hundreds of years later anyways. So there's, it's just written by man. There's nothing really going on here. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Christianity's bad for the environment. This one I have a kind of a personal issue with. Oh, there's two chairs right here. Yes, <laughs> just so I can keep an eye on you guys. Uh, I'm personally interested in this myth because I sit on an environmental board um, that... Yeah, you haven't heard that one? Oh, well, I'm going to educate you tonight. And then, you know, the big one, this one I put last, but you probably hear this one first. Christianity, that's just a crutch, right? I don't need that. You don't need that. If you were really a strong person, you wouldn't need Christianity. Now, for tonight's, I do want to encourage questions. If you're having a question about understanding what I'm saying... Go ahead and interrupt, but we've left lots of time for Q&A afterwards. So if you just want to you know, add, add something that's deeper, then you know, write it down. Or th- You guys probably have good memories. You're not like me. You wouldn't have to write it down. All right, so let's jump into this. We did this a little uh, two nights ago with P. Ray's group. We talked about blind faith. So Christianity is all about blind faith. You have to park your brain at the door when you go in a church. It's all about emotionalism. The problem is that some Christians have really begun to believe this themselves, but this really wasn't part of historical thinking about Christianity until the Enlightenment period of the uh, 17th and 18th centuries. Christianity has always been evidence-based. It is not a blind faith. It's not something where you just close your eyes and take a leap into the dark. That is not Christianity at all. I know that people hear this and they think that it is, But Jesus used evidence when he taught. He said said things like, if you don't believe my words, then believe what I say because of what I do, because of the miracles that I do. So he did miracles to, to prove to people. He wanted to give them evidence. His followers also did the same thing. They talked about the miracles that they saw. They talked about the fulfilled prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when he came to earth. So they gave evidence, they were not about, just close your eyes and and this is the way it is. Trust us, we know what we're talking about. And the church had, through its history, developed many strong arguments and evidences that proved that Christianity was true. You've heard of Thomas Aquinas, I'm sure. They even do classes here at this college on the evidences for the existence of God that were developed by Aquinas. St. Augustine also, many arguments and philosophical arguments, evidential arguments, fulfillment of prophecy, historical evidences that all the things that the disciples said happened actually happened. So Christianity is not about blind faith. In fact, the word So, So in my opinion... Let's see, where's my laser pointer? Right there. This word faith has essentially changed its meaning. Today, when we say faith, what we mean is blind faith, right? But that was not historically the meaning of faith. Faith meant trust and reliance. It was, it was like a very pronounced trust, like a conviction, okay? This is what faith meant. So if you, when you're reading the Bible... When you come across the word faith, if you will not phone me, but if you will just replace the word trust with the word faith, you will get a clearer idea of what the authors were actually intending with this word pistis, okay? In a modern translation, you'll often see it translated as trust, reliance. It comes from a Greek root word that means to convince by argument, it has only been in the last about 200 years that the word faith has come to take on the connotation of blind faith. And one of the obvious arguments in favor of what I'm saying is that why would you have to add the word blind to faith if you wanted to say blind faith? You would just say faith, right? But you have to add the word blind to it because it doesn't, faith by itself does not mean blind faith, right? Okay. Okay. All right, I don't want to get, there is no clock in this room, so we have 10 myths to go over. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to spend on all of them, so here's a really a good quote that I love from, from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was the, many of you saw the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you saw the Chronicles of Narnia? He was the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He was also a theologian, a philosopher, a college professor, a really brilliant man. Here's what he said about this issue. Christianity is not a patent medicine. Christianity claims to give an account of facts to tell you what the real universe is like. Its account of the universe may be true, or it may not. And once the question is really before you, then your natural inquisitiveness must make you want to know the answer. If Christianity is untrue, then no honest man will want to believe it, however helpful it might be. If it is true, every honest man will want to believe it, even if it gives him no help at all. And I do have to, let's see, I don't think I can do this from here. Joe, are you near the computer? Can you put up Dr. Craig, just pop out to the desktop and throw up Dr. Craig Hazen. I had a trouble with implanting my videos, so I decided not to do it. So we're just That's my son, by the way, on top of an M1 tank. Remember, he still needs a life. Yeah, he's not quite hitched yet. All right, make it full. Make it full. What are you doing?
0: i not making you fast, though. It's so slow.
2: Okay, here we go.
0: I think there's a popular misconception about religion today that says that religion has nothing really to do with objective knowledge. You know, the kind of knowledge that we usually gain through science, careful study or investigation. Instead, people tend to think of religion as dealing only with things like our feelings, and our conscience, or our intuitions. If this is true, if religion is exclusively about what goes on inside of us emotionally or spiritually, then blind faith really is the only option, because there's nothing objective to evaluate. Now Christianity, as it emerges from the New Testament writings, offers a very different picture of religious knowledge, one that in no way relies upon blind faith. One of the most striking examples of the Christian approach is found in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, where the apostle Paul says something startling. He insists that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is worthless. You see, in this text Paul forever links the overall truth of Christianity with the physical resurrection of Jesus, which is an objective historical event. The resurrection is not only open to, but actually invites careful scrutiny of its factual claims. Historians, scientists, and thinking people of all stripes are invited to weigh the available evidence using the very best methods at their disposal to discover whether or not the claims about Jesus' resurrection are true. No blind faith here. Instead, we have a door wide open to rigorous investigation of the facts upon which Christianity lives or dies. Okay. I grew up in a culture... Oh, you can kill that. We didn't attend temple, but I remember as a young child that we would...
2: Okay. So the second myth then is that Christianity is anti-science, and I went over that a little bit at the beginning. You know, you hear this a lot, that the, because it's a religion and it tries to suppress the advancement of science, you know, and on and on. Anybody heard that one? Yeah? Okay, so let me give you the counter to that, the, the real facts of the situation. One is about the medieval church. It was not anti-scientific. In fact, Christianity really began, look at the wall, Why did it do that? So it gave birth to the university, and what are my statistics down here? By 1500, there were 60 universities across Europe with hundreds of thousands of students. Everyone always brings up Galileo, and this is mainly because... Uh, Stephen Hawking, when in his brief history of time, started with Galileo as an example of the church's fight against science. Okay, this is a real, real misunderstanding of the history. And so, briefly, like I said, we don't have a lot of time to go into this. But briefly, there were five different public problems that Galileo had with the university. Okay, and well, four of them were with the university and one was with the church. The one with the church is where that you hear about. It had to do with him being critical of the teachings of a priest and his using scripture to support his scientific findings. Now, remember that Galileo was a devout Christian. Uh, You know, he was pursuing science as a Christian. And the Theologians did not like the fact that he was interpreting scripture. They felt that that was their realm. So he was okay uh, studying the stars, but when he started telling them what the Bible said, that's what they didn't like. So he got into problems. Okay. So these the conflicts really that was really going on was science versus science. It was with the scientists of the day, and you know you can just think how difficult it would have been in our modern age. We think, well, we know that the earth is moving, so it's not so difficult. But can you imagine for people that always believed the earth was stationary, when somebody comes along and says the earth is moving? It's not like they just rejected it because, you know, they didn't like that idea. You could actually do physical tests to prove that the earth was stationary. And they would show Galileo, look, if I throw a ball into the air... It will land at the exact spot that I threw it from. If the Earth was moving, when you threw the ball into the air, the Earth would move under the ball, and the ball would land in a different spot. So there's a scientific experiment that proves that the Earth is stationary. So of course, you know, so, so um, it really was science versus science. You know? And I hope most of you know why that was not a, uh, a real good experiment to do. Then uh, the last point, I think, is that no one really Thought that Galileo was, uh, or that the church was anti science until the 19th century. During the Enlightenment, when atheism began to become more prominent, there were a couple of books published that said that, this, that Christianity was anti science. It was mostly aimed at Catholics, unfortunately, it was an anti Catholic uh, thing. So numerous historians have pointed out that, in fact, Christianity laid the framework which allowed for science to develop in the first place. It was just recently, about four or five months ago, another historian, very prominent Oxford PhD historian, published another book on this very issue. So there have been multiple uh, historical analysis of this that shows that science, modern science, what we think of as modern science, did come about because of the ideas embedded in Christianity. Christianity, just to be brief about it, Christianity rejected the old ideas of fate, the ideas that things were cyclical and you would start over and there was death and birth and that this had just gone on forever and ever. Christianity taught that the universe had a beginning and that it was progressing to an end. And so that you could know what was going to happen and you could study uh, how God made things. And that really was, in fact, it was Kepler, one of the main uh, scientists who, dis- who figured the, out the heliocentric model that said that he was thinking God's thoughts after him. Virtually every founder of every field in science was a Christian, okay? And there's just a few names that you would recognize, Boyle, Kepler, Pasteur, Newton, Faraday, Maxwell, uh, and many others. Uh, even the majority of scientists who are out there doing field work Right The people who were out there uh, collecting butterflies and cataloging uh, geological layers, all of that was being done by Christians, mostly pastors. Why do you think that was? Because pastors were highly educated men, and they had a lot of free time. So they spent a lot of their time out walking. right? Right Pirae, just like P-ray. Oh, he's right
0: there. That's right. He's right against me. <laughs>
2: All right, Uh, even Francis Bacon, I'm sure you know Francis Bacon was the scientist who and philosopher who uh, gave us the scientific method. He was the first one that gave us a scientific method. He was also a devout Christian. All right, so, well, okay, that might be true, but you know that Christianity and all religions promote violence, right? I mean, you've heard it many times that most wars are caused by religion, right? Yeah, Uh, There have been songs about it, right? If only we could do away with religion, then we'd have a world of peace. So, is that really true? Well, let's look at some of the facts. Does religion cause wars? All right, first little point of interest is that if you study war, if you read the manuals of war, there's nothing about religion in them, right? Religion doesn't seem to be actually a very good way of handling warfare. In the book, The Encyclopedia of Wars, which catalogs the history of wars that we know about uh, in the human race, it has 1,763 wars. Only 123 of them had religious motivations. All right, that is only 7%. In contrast, and I don't say this to bash atheists, we do have some atheists here, This is not to bash atheists. This is to point out the contrast of religion versus non-religion. Let's take something that's non-religious. Atheists will say they're non-religious, right? Just in the 20th century alone, atheistic ideas and ideologies contributed to the death. This is a very conservative estimate. 100 million people. I've seen estimates, there's a professor from the University of Hawaii that says that in the 20th century, the estimate should actually be more closer to 300 million. So, but he's on the high end, most other people are down somewhere in between. Do you know that that is more people than has been killed by every single war in the history of the world? More people were slaughtered by atheistic ideologies in the 20th century alone. Uh, and then this is just another thing about violence. There, I, there are a lot of studies I could have, I, I could have shown you about uh, religion actually reducing violence. This one is a, just a straightforward factoid about uh, red counties and blue counties and their murder rates. Uh, and you can link that to um, religion, uh, would be Republican. County,
1: okay.
2: Blue, Blue County. County would be Democrat, but I'm not saying anything against Democrats or the Republicans. Like, what are the are they- oh, the names like uh, Mao, uh, Stalin, and on and on and on. I should I should get that list. That would be good. Paul Pot, yeah. Who do you know who the most bloodthirsty one was? Who was who killed more people than wow. anyone else? Yes, you win a slice of pizza. <laughs>
0: All right. How are we doing for
2: time? I don't want to run out of time. I need to talk faster. Okay. All right. What about hypocrisy? Well, here I'm going to agree with people a little bit. I'm not going to explain the picture yet. I couldn't figure out how to make the picture come up later. So many, one, one explanation is that many Christians are new Christians. So if you've met somebody and, wow, that person's doing something that they're not supposed to do when you're a Christian. Uh, Many times it's because they're a new Christian and they don't know. They have not learned how Christian ethics applies to their lives. A lot of times Christians uh, really are hypocrites, right? They know what they're supposed to be doing and they intentionally decide they're not going to do that. We call it backsliding. If, If that is all they are, right, then I would say they are not a Christian because... What does being a Christian mean other than that you follow Jesus Christ, right? If you do not follow Jesus Christ, in other words, you are always a hypocrite, I think you are not a Christian. It's like if you have a friend who says they're a professional tennis player, and you say, oh, that's interesting, maybe they're your roommate, and you happen to know that they don't even own a tennis racket. (laughs) They never play tennis, but they will tell you they're a professional tennis player, right? Oh, Sorry. (laughs) that's not aimed at you. <laughs> Tennis club met in here before we started. All right. Jesus taught that his church would be actually full of hypocrites, right? Do you remember the parable, for those of you who are familiar with some of Jesus' teachings, the parable of the wheat and the tares? What was that about? It was about, the, uh, well, here it is. This is a picture of wheat and tares, laser pointer time. This is wheat over here. Good to make bread out of. This is tares over here. Not good for anything. <laughs> Grows up just like wheat. It looks very much like wheat. Okay. Um, and then uh, Jesus' disciples said, well, shouldn't we, shouldn't we tear, the, tear them up? Right? We should just go through the church and rip up all the her- hypocrites. Right? And he said, no, don't do that. Because when you pull out the, the tares, you will damage the wheat. Right. And that's so this is really what people do that are that are raising wheat. If they have tears in it, they just let it grow together. And that's what Jesus said to do. So we otherwise we'd be constantly fighting over each other. You're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. And, you know, (laughs) kick them out and all that. And that still happens anyways, even though Jesus told us not to do that. So another explanation for why you may have experienced hypocrisy if you've uh, you know, been around Christians is that you may actually not understand why their behavior is the way it is. Christianity In Christianity, we at least get one to two hours of instruction every single week. Many of us do additional study, Bible studies. Many of us do our own Bible studies daily. So we're constantly trying to learn how to love people better, how to be more moral people, how to change our behavior. So sometimes we might do something that appears to you to be immoral, but we actually believe that it is moral. I'll give you an example. I have a uh, a friend of mine who was uh, telling me that he was never going to go back to church again. And so I started asking, oh, that's interesting. You know, I, question him further. Oh, yeah, all full of hypocrites, you know. Okay, interesting. Well, what denomination? Well, he gave a very prominent denomination I was very familiar with. I said, "God, that really sounds strange. So tell me more. What what exactly was it? So long story short, turns out that he thought he was a Christian, claimed he was a Christian, but uh, he had a particular sin that he liked to participate in whenever he wanted to. And he didn't like the fact that Christians were accusing him of sin, of being a hypocrite, when he knew that the whole point of Christianity was for sinners to come and be forgiven, right? So he knew they were sinners, and he knew he was a sinner. So when they accused him of doing something wrong, he said they were hypocrites, right? But an objective person would say, well, now, wait a minute. You just admitted that you were doing something wrong, so you're the hypocrite, okay? So, yes, Nishan? But you said he was without sin, Casper or Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true, but there are times when we are told, like if you were to sin against me, like if you killed my dog, don't do that, because I don't have a dog. <laughs> um, would I, am I supposed to do something about it? Am I supposed to come to you and say, hey, Nishan, I have a problem. You killed my dog. <laughs> Aren't I supposed to do that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Talk to P. Ray about it. Yes, <laughs> keep going, with that one. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so, if you find that you're not a hypocrite because you never do anything wrong against your own personal standard of ethics, let me just suggest to you maybe your standard of ethics isn't very high because it seems a little too easy for you. <laughs> And the, finally, the final point on this is that not to judge a religion or anything, any kind of um, you know, philosophy by those who do not practice it, right? You don't judge a religion by people who are not following the religion. If we, do we have any Islam, Islamic friends in here? Would you, would, would you expect us to say that you know, every terrorist represents Islam, right? They don't. So don't judge a religion by people who do not practice it. Oh, and I have a great video clip here. And where is my video clip person? Joe, this will be the picture of the lady next to next to the other video. Yeah, there you go. I struggled with Christian hypocrites for years. I could not understand it why some up. of the most devious, two-faced people I knew not only attended church, but sometimes were in positions of leadership. They pretended
0: to be committed Christians, but their lives and actions greened otherwise. I now understand that they were not followers of Christ, only pretenders. I've also heard people say that all Christians
1: are hypocrites. While it's true that the behavior of every Christian doesn't completely reflect the teachings of Jesus, I don't think this means Christians are hypocrites pretending to be something they aren't. It just means they're human, and they're in the process of growing and learning and part of any growing process. Stumbling, falling,
2: making mistakes. All right, I think I can bring it back. Cool, I'm getting the hang of this. All right, Christians are hateful. Man, well, and here's a picture of one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they hate Jews, they hate women, they hate gays. Uh, this is actually, do you guys know who this might be? Westboro. Uh, Westboro West 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 West. Baptist. Do you know that they're, it's, they're mainly composed of a single family? Oh, so they're all in <laughs> uh, It's a big family. It's got about forty members. So, um, so there are many people in the world who really, really hate other people, and some of them also call themselves Christians. So I don't, I don't deny that. But Jesus taught us to love others, not to hate. So, in fact, he taught us to love those who hate us. So our reaction to hatred is to, to love in return. So that there couldn't be a, a greater um, dichotomy, I think, between hate and love. Do we show respect to everyone we disagree with? Sometimes we don't, and that's a shame. We ought to be respectful of others, even those that we disagree with, even if we disagree strongly. But the think about the other side of it, right? This is really a rhetorical ploy in many cases it is a ploy to say, because you disagree with me, you hate me, right? In logic, we call this an ad hominem, right? It's an attack of the person. You're not arguing the differences in the philosophical argument. You're attacking the person, right? Because maybe you don't think you're going to win the argument. So you've got to go after the person instead. And, and if you hear this enough times, you begin to think it's true, but it's just a ploy. It's just a technique, a way of attacking the other side because they disagree with you. First Corinthians, Paul talks about some of the people who became Christians, right? And he says that the early church, they were made up of homosexuals, adulterers, sexually impure, sexually immoral. Those are the people who came to be Christians, right? So I know, before I became a Christian, all I wanted to do was chase girls. That was my sexual identity. When I became a Christian, I had to give that up. That's what becoming a Christian meant. Galatians 3, about, about the issue of women, again, there's so many things I'd, I'd love, we could do a whole nother thing on women's rights and, and how Christianity has empowered women over the past 2,000 years. But this, it really started with this single verse, Commentators on this verse have said that this verse was like a, a, a supernova in a sea of darkness. Do you know how harsh people were to each other before Christianity came along? Uh, they were brutal. They actually believed. Think about the Romans. You know, um, one of the ways that you proved your manhood was by sexually brutalizing young boys. And you were teaching, what you were doing was you were teaching these boys how to dominate others, because dominating others was what life was all about. Mercy was not a virtue. Mercy was thought to be a weakness. If you ever showed mercy, there was something wrong with you. And, and women were just property, right? Into this dark world came a light shining so bright. Do you know that Christianity has ended slavery twice? We know about slavery recently, right? They ended slavery in the Roman civilization. There is neither Greek nor Jew, right? There is nothing racial or national. There is neither slave nor free. There is nothing about class or economics. There is neither male nor female for you are all one, united in Christ. That one concept was the birth for liberty for all human beings to be considered equal together because they were created by Jesus Christ. Um, One of the simple ways that early Christians ended slavery was that when they had slaves in their household, they ate with them. They treated them like real human beings because they believed that they were equal to them, even though they were on a different economic status level. And that you know, th- Things like that just set up these incredible political movements that meant freedom and what the Gospels uh, are, are said to be good news for the poor. So centuries of development of, e- of equality for human beings. All right, I'm going to have to start talking even faster. Okay, have you heard this? How many of you have heard this? This one I was not sure to put this in because it's a little bit on the rare side. You have heard this, right? Hmm? And said that it's real. Oh my goodness that is a shame. That's really a shame. That is so should I can I say unacademic. We don't know who she is, right? You said she, okay. Wait, Let's not pinpoint her. Yeah, what's her name? No. What's
0: your major? It's not it's we, not we don't know.
2: <laughs> So the myth is that there has always been these dying and rising gods down through the millennia from the ancient Egyptians through the Greeks, Romans, uh, India, And so when the disciples found that their great teacher, their Messiah, was dead now, and, you know, they really liked what he had to say, and they kind of wanted things to, they liked being in the limelight, you know, they liked the Pharisees arresting them every once in a while, (laughs) so they decided to continue this. So they just said, oh, look, you know, we can copy these ancient myths. And uh, we'll have a, a rising God also, right? And you hear, it's, uh, I'll mention, have you, heard, have you heard of the Zeitgeist movie? It's an internet movie. It's like one of the most watched internet videos that there is. Anyways, it goes through. It's, it, it, it's fortunately, it is this harangue about um, some conspiracy theory. But it starts out, the first half of it is all about this, how Christianity is this um, myth. And it talks about there being in all these other religions, I mentioned dying and rising gods, Mithra, Osiris, I- Isis and Osiris, uh, and others. Um, that so, so they copied them. I was talking about the Zeitgeist movie. All right. So if you look at the actual data on this, first of all, things like the Zeitgeist movie, and there are one or two books on this subject, um, they do not use any primary sources. So there's nowhere, and I've read through many of them, I've been, done a lot of research on this, there's nowhere where they say, okay, and so here is this document from 200 B.C., and it has a uh, quote from this priest of Egypt, and here's what he said about Osiris. There's nothing like that. There are no primary sources whatsoever. Um And any sources that there are come from after Christianity. So you have to realize what was happening. There were these, what they called, mystery religions. okay? And you would go through a ritual initiation. You would pay money to a priest. They would have a uh, big party for you, uh, orgy sometimes, um, parades, lots of uh, pageantry and stuff, secret handshakes. Really, they did, had secret handshakes. Things like this, underground meetings, you know, it's all very, you know, special. You were really in if you, and some of them were kind of expensive. So you were really in if you could afford the, the better mystery religions. Oh, could it be? I wonder. (laughs) And um, along comes Christianity. And so this industry was getting hammered. A lot of people were converting to Christianity and not wanting to have anything to do. And money was uh, on the decline. So guess what? all of a sudden, you start getting writings that say, hey, we've got a rising God too. Look, our God rose from the dead. Um, one of the examples, oh, I know what I, I, know what I was going to get to. In the uh, Zeitgeist movie, they talk about things like, um, in this religion, you know, in, in fact, it's in all the religions, they had, um, this God had, they always had 12 disciples, they were always born on December 25th, they always had communion, they always had baptism. You know, and if you actually study the things like in Isis and Osiris, Osiris gets cut up he gets killed, he gets cut up into 13 pieces and thrown into the Nile. Well, there you go. See, that's baptism. Great. Anybody want to be baptized? <laughs> right. And then what does Osiris do? He becomes the lord of the afterlife, the lord of the dead. So see, he's alive again. Yeah, no, he's dead. He's the Lord of the dead. He's dead. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that you get. And of course, there, there's no truth to the thing about December 25th. Why does December 25th come into it anyways? There's nothing in the Bible that says that Jesus was born on December 25th. Right. There's even this funny, in fact, I should have done a clip of the, the very beginning of the Zeitgeist movie. They make a big thing about how there was always this um, worship of the sun god and how... Um, uh, It it goes from God, the Son, and then it talks about, uh, then it starts slipping into this language where he says, the Son of God, and then it says, and see how Christianity, Son, God, and Son of God, well, I'm sorry, but that only works in English. In English, sun is S-O-N, and sun in the sky is S-U-N, and they sound the same, but it doesn't work in any other language. So it's not, it can't be that it, it just transformed from God the sun to the son of God, because it's English. But that's the kind of crazy stuff that's out there. So unfortunately for whoever taught you that, it is completely, all of the experts will tell you that there's absolutely zero truth to that. Okay, Um, Jesus was only a good teacher, another myth. And you hear this a lot, right? I have a friend who tells me this a lot. If only Christians would just concentrate on the teachings of the moral teachings of Jesus and just forget all the rest of it. Okay, well, uh, firstly, I would agree Jesus was a good moral teacher. I don't deny that. Um, The problem comes in that the other things about Jesus that I also accept that don't really go along with only being a good moral teacher, right? Take a look at some of the astounding claims that he made. Does this sound like a good moral teacher or only a good moral teacher? He said he was the only mediator between God and man. Right? He said that he was the only sufficient sacrifice for man's sins. He said that he was God incarnate. He said that at the end of the world, he would sit on a throne and judge the nations for their sins. Right? He said that unless you put your trust in him, you will go to hell. And Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Does that sound like a good teacher? or only a good teacher, it does appear that this can't really be true. Here is another quote from C.S. Lewis. It's a long quote, but I love C.S. Lewis. What can I say? (laughs) I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord or God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay. All right. We're wrapping up. We're near the end. The Bible was written hundreds of years later. You have heard that, right? I was on vacation with somebody going down to Jerusalem and this guy was Jewish and so we got to talking and uh, he was, you know, on about the uh, oral period, you know, that there was this long period of oral transmission and hundreds of years later, people wrote down the Bible. Well, I, again, I have to go quickly over this and I don't know why that keeps beeping at me. Maybe an email email came in probably. So um, really, though, the evidence is very strong that the New Testament was written in the first century. So just quickly, I wish I could go into more detail because it's so exciting. Very interesting. First of all, this is the kind of thing that what happens when people write about something that happened hundreds of years ago is that they make mistakes. And especially in ancient times, the history, they didn't have research libraries, they didn't have the internet, you had to depend on what people told you, right? Occasionally, you would have some scholars who had access to some ancient texts, like Josephus, um, Suetonius, right? But. Even those historians like Josephus, Suetonius, and others, Tacitus, occasionally made some mistakes. Why? Because they were not there living at the time. They also were writing about things that happened hundreds of years before them. So really uh, impossible to get the details right. The thing about the New Testament is it gets all of the details exactly right. Geological and place names, right? Tiny little towns that hardly anybody knew about, the names are correct and where they were located is exactly correct. Um, Names and titles of leaders. This is, uh, you know, this is one thing that bugged historians in the ancient times. They just couldn't get the titles right because if a new governor came in to run a state a lot of times, they didn't want to be called governor because the last guy was called governor. They wanted a better title than just governor, so they wanted to be called tetrarch. So now they're tetrarch. So you had, you had kings and tetrarchs and governors and all that all over the place, sometimes only for a couple of years. There might be one guy who's their tetrarch for three years, and then he's replaced by another governor. The the New Testament gets all those little details exactly right. All of the titles, all of the names are exactly right. Even though the only way you could have known that would have been to have been there, right? You had to have been familiar. You could not get these things right. There are many examples of um, fictitious histories written as if that they, you know, to try to fool people. um, And this is how you tell that they're wrong because you can always catch them up on things like titles, things like geologic uh, place names. There's even uh, somebody in the 200s, 200 BC, wrote a fake story about a prophet. uh, And they wanted to make it sound like this guy was just like Jesus. He went around doing miracles and things like that. And turns out one of the mistakes they made was they said that he went to the city of Nineveh. Well, Nineveh had been long destroyed. There was no Nineveh then. These are the kinds of mistakes that get made. Uh, by forgeries. Secondly, or in addition, there were this long unbroken chain of disciples and early church fathers. So we have the Um, the 12 disciples who learned at the feet of Jesus, they went out and they had disciples themselves. So they taught directly to people. And we know the links. We know the names of the people. Some of them, obviously not all. Some of the people uh, who became their followers, those then became leaders of the church, uh, you know, third generation, fourth generation. and And even though not everybody wrote things down, enough people did write them down uh, and we have copies of it that uh, we know this for certain. Also, I don't know if you heard this—very exciting. Last month, um, a bunch of new New Testament manuscripts were discovered, and it looks like we have our first uh, papyrus from the first century. Now, papyrus was a very um, you know early form of paper, and I, I mean, think about how long would a piece of paper last? Do you think you could get a piece of paper today to last for 2,000 years? No, you couldn't. So the fact that we have anything at all from 2,000 years ago is just amazing. But we actually do now. It looks like, you know, it needs to be, it's only, the discovery is only a month old. But still, the experts who have seen it are convinced that it is from the first century. So we have a uh, first, first century piece of the book of Mark. Okay. Uh, so here are the dates that scholars believe that, that the New Testament was written. John was written before the 70 A.D., Paul's letters written between the years 48 and 65 AD. Uh, Luke, AD 60 to 62. Mark, before 60. Recently, a new scholar, an atheist scholar actually, has written an article on his research. And he has determined that the book of Mark was written in the 40s based on the the way that uh, the temple is talked about. He was able to trace the change in ideas as ideas about the temple. Changed over time, decade by decade, and because of that, he was then able to pinpoint uh, Mark as coming from the 40s. That means since Jesus died roughly 30 uh, AD, that means 10 years later, Mark had written. And um, scholars believe that Mark was the first uh, gospel to be written in the 40s. But actually, the you remember this unbroken chain of disciples to uh, early church fathers. There is very strong all of the all of the early uh, disciples said that Matthew actually wrote the first book. So why are the scholars, why do the scholars have this wrong, possibly? Well, the scholars are talking about Greek, but Matthew, according to the early church fathers, wrote the first gospel in Hebrew. Well, we don't have any copies of Matthew, or early copies of Matthew in Hebrew. So, um, But we do have this source called Q, Have any of you Studied anything about New Testament? Okay, so there's this source called Q that it appears that the gospel writers might have had similar used Q. It's possible that Matthew is from Hebrew is Q. All right, and uh, let's see. Christianity is bad bad for the environment. Let me try and go quickly through this so we can get to questions and answers. Christians get accused of this because there's the hey, yeah the Absolutely. The really uh-huh. Point, yes. let back to that last frame. Let me uh...
0: None of those early books, none of these <sighs> early letters, were written
2: for A70, in A.D. 70, a okay. very important thing occurred. Structural integrity. That's a right. Historical fact. None of the books have been in written about. Mention it at all? If exactly. It was written a hundred years later. If it was written A.D. 71, they would have mentioned it. And the reason they would have mentioned it is because Jesus prophesied that. Um, Uh, Jerusalem would be destroyed. And he described, he actually described exactly militarily how it would be conquered and what the result would be. And that fulfillment came uh, completely. They would have, absolutely they would have announced that. So, um, uh, the other thing is that they also talk about things that were destroyed. They talk about uh, places that got destroyed in AD 70 um, as if they're still there. So so as they're writing they say, you know, they, they talk about places as if they're still there when by seventy at seventy AD they were destroyed and they're not there anymore. So it seems really unlikely that they that they would have um, talked about them as if they were still there. Okay, so you've heard this that you know Christians are bad for the environment because in Genesis God gives human beings dominion over the earth, right? Now, um, I don't disagree that some Christians have used that as kind of a license. You know, uh, we're the bosses. We can do whatever we want. We can pollute. We can destroy. But, you know, guess what? Um, Christians actually like clean water and like clean air. Um, What dominion is all about is, and you know, this is an obvious thing, with power comes responsibility to use it wisely, that I learned that from some Spider-Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) But this is all the verses that are several verses that talk about um, taking care of animals, taking care of the earth. And why? Because it belongs to God. Dominion didn't mean that God gave. It's like, it's like um, uh, if I, what's your name? Lauren, if I let Lauren rent my house, okay, does that mean that she can trash it? No, no, it doesn't, right? Not that you would, but right, it doesn't give you the right. So if you're in control of something, but you would be in control of the house, right? Right. It'd be your house to live in, right? So you're in control of it. That's what God did. He put us on this earth and he gave us dominion on the earth. He made us the smartest creatures around, right? Except for maybe porpoises, I don't know. But, um, so he gave us dominion. That doesn't mean that we can trash the place, okay? Just so you know. I know you think it's your room, but your mother and father will tell you to clean it. <laughs> All right, let's jump through this. this is, that one's not, here's, uh, here's Francis Schaeffer. He's a, a, another theologian. So uh, let me just quote him and we'll move on to the next one. By creation... Man has dominion, but as a fallen creature, he has used that dominion wrongly. That by fallen, it just means that uh, human beings do bad things, right? Because he has fallen, he exploits created things as though they were nothing in themselves, as though he has an autonomous right to them. The Christian is called upon to exhibit this dominion, but exhibit it rightly, treating the thing as having value in itself exercising dominion without being destructive. Let's see, Christianity is just a crutch. I know you've heard this, right? You know, if you weren't a Christian, you'd probably be an alcoholic, right? Because you're just so weak that you need something like this, right? You just can't get through life, can you? Got to have it. All right, so my answer to this is kind of an odd one. Yes and no. No, it's not a crutch. It's something more than a crutch. It's like It's as much a crutch as a light bulb or a socket is to a light bulb. Does a light bulb need a socket? Well, if you really wanna fully use it, yeah, it does. And you screw that light bulb into that socket and that light bulb becomes what it was intended to be. And that's what Christianity is about. Christianity is about taking people who are broken, who need crutches, and turning them into what they were meant to be, to glow with light like a light bulb, Yeah, so we were created in order to function through God in relationship to God, right? If you wanted to compare it to anything, I would say it's not a crutch. It's more like a hospital, okay? So look at a hospital. I would never want to go in a hospital. There's nothing but sick people in there. Yuck. Yeah, well, when you're sick, I think that's where you want to be, right? So Christianity is for hurting people. It's for people who realize they're sinners. Here's a quote from Jesus. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what? You don't have any problems in your life. You're not doing anything wrong. You're a good person. I don't think you need Jesus. It's only people who know that something's not right. Something's wrong. I would like to be a good person, but I can't find myself being that way. I want to be good, but I'm not, right? Unless you get to the point, I think there's a point you can get to, to where that, that feeling, that conscience, if you stuff it underwater enough times, you stuff its head underwater, eventually it stops bobbing up.
1: So. All right, Keith, that was really good. Uh, If you'd like to listen to a podcast of that program or any of our previous programs, they're available on our website, which is www.evidencethenumber4faith.com. I'm sure that uh, our talk today will probably be up within the next week or so. Uh, If you'd like to ask us a question, you can email us at email at evidence4faith.com. And remember to check us out on our Facebook page also. That's about all the time we have for today. Uh, Please join us again next week. And remember, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.